And we are going to continue third week of our series. The title is on the screen behind me, Centering on Ministry. And I'll explain what that means. Really only one announcement to repeat from the first hour, and that is this Wednesday at 7 o'clock at the Trenton City Hall. We are on the agenda for their planning commission to seek final approval for our uh, site plan and so that we can begin renovations to our ministry center. So pray about that, if you will. Uh, We met with them a week ago Wednesday seeking approval. They had some revisions for us to make. We've made those. We hope that'll suffice. So pray that it will. If it does, then we can get going on it and uh, still try to, if we can get going right away, still try to get in by the end of the year. But uh, that is all dependent on uh, the city and other factors. So pray about that if you would, and of course we'll let you know uh, Wednesday night by email, if you're on our email list, what uh, transpired with that. Speaking of our ministry center, we want to spend a number of weeks in anticipation of moving, getting ourselves prepared for that move. And that preparation has a number of categories that we need to talk about over a number of weeks. So we started that two weeks ago with this, this uh, series titled Centering on Ministry. And so I'll tell you what we covered in the first two weeks, and then uh, we'll move on today. But that title, Centering on Ministry, is a bit of a play on words. Most of you that have been with us for a while know that we are calling the place that we have purchased, not a, a church building, but we're calling it a ministry center. And we've been using that language for a long time, that we've been searching for a ministry center. Now we've purchased a ministry center. And whenever we do anything over there or talk about it, we call it that. Now, why is that? Well, just in order to keep our minds focused on the fact that the church is not brick and mortar. The church is the called out people of God, called out of the world and to himself. And so we will all, myself included, I am sure, talk about meeting at the church or going to church and misuse the word church that way. Uh, And that's okay. We're not going to have church police. They're going to smack you if you use it the wrong way. But we just want to have that out there to continually remind us that the church is not a building. But the building is a tool to help us move ministry forward. And if that's going to happen as effectively as possible, then it is wise for us to prepare ourselves ahead of time so that when we do move in, we can uh, engage in ministry in the most effective way. So centering on ministry as we prepare to move into our ministry center is the idea. Two weeks ago when we started this series, I reminded you of the centrality of the church in God's plan. We looked at a number of passages that very clearly, and if you were with us, I haven't had anybody argue with me about it, so I assume you all agree or you weren't paying attention but that you agree that the Bible clearly teaches that God's plan is being carried out through his church. And so the church is central to what God is accomplishing uh, in this age. And so we tried to show that from the great commission of Jesus through the book of Acts into the epistles and so on. So the church is indispensable to uh, God's, the mission that God has given to his people. So we call that the centrality of the church. But then last week, we looked at the beauty of the church the beauty of the church. And that is that you can see in Scripture the centrality of the church. Yes, uh, acknowledge that the Bible is central to all that God is, is doing. And therefore, we need to align our lives 
around it, use our gifts uh, to promote it, because that's God's design. You can see all of that, but not experience the beauty of the church and understand the beauty of the church. So you can simply acquiesce, simply uh, decide that I will be a part of the church and I will be a part of it to the greatest extent I can simply because God says so. But we should have a vision for the beauty of the church in addition to God's command to be involved in and advancing the mission of the church. And so last week I tried to help us see that, that the church is not only central but the church is beautiful and therefore something we should not only be engaged in, but should want to, very, very much want to engage in. And the church is beautiful because it's not a building, it's the people of God. And, it, it, and it's beautiful because of whose it is, we saw last week. It is, it is Christ's church. He said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church. And Ephesians 5 says Christ is the head of the church. So it's beautiful because of whose it is. And it's beautiful as well because of what it is. It is a called-out group of redeemed people from every, uh, from every walk of life, from every background, without regard to ethnicity, with re- without regard to class or economy. It's a group of redeemed people, all of whom have the need, seen the need, by God's grace, to come to the same place, the foot of the cross. And so it's beautiful in its diversity as a redeemed people, but also beautiful in its unity as the redeemed people of God, unified around one Lord and one faith and and one baptism, Ephesians 4 tells us, and one mission, unified together to carry that out. So it's it's beautiful because of, of what it is, a redeemed people and a gifted people. All of those people who have been called out of the world and to God and to his mission have been gifted by God to engage each of us, every last one of us, effectively in that, in that mission. And when that happens, when we see ourselves as God's redeemed people, all of us equal in the, the sight of God, no matter our, our background, seeing the marvel of His grace, bringing this diverse group together, having them get along. Wow, that's a miracle in itself. And then having them unify their, their efforts, their gifts, and their abilities uh, toward the same goal. It's beautiful because of whose it is and what it is, and, and because of what it does then. And I said last week that there's a sense in which the local church, the local assembly, is the hope of the world. I mean, if Jesus' mission is being carried out through the local church, then the local church, indispensable to God's program, is the hope of the world. And we need to then have that kind of vision for the church and our, our church. Beautiful because of whose it is, what it is, and, and what it does. And we saw last week that what it is doing, what we've been called to do, is carry out the mission Jesus left for his first followers through his church. And that mission is go, make disciples of all nations, and baptize them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe everything that I've commanded. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Matthew 28, 19, and and 20. Jesus' final instructions to his followers. And then those followers began that mission in Acts chapter 2. The church and the mission began together, and they moved forward together. 
You cannot have the mission without the church, and the church should never be without the mission at the fore of all that it does. And so, what is the church then about? Why is God, what has God instructed this redeemed group of people that he's called out of the world and to himself to do? Carry out his mission. How does that mission look? Well, it spreads even to the ends of the earth through the proliferation of, the multiplication of churches. But that only happens as people are brought to Christ They grow in Christ, and as a result, the church grows both numerically and spiritually, and there's the need to then plant other churches. Our church is the result of that very process. Our church started as a a plant to carry that on, and we want to be used of God to plant other churches to to see that happen. Now, we can all look at that and say, wow, that'll be cool when we're able to kick a bunch of people out and plant a church. But in the meantime, you back off from that, and you say, what kinds of stuff have to be done? In order for that to happen, in order for the church to grow numerically and grow spiritually, we have to be clear about what our objectives are. And those objectives could be put into two categories, under two words. One is evangelize, and the other is edify, build up. In order to carry out Jesus' uh, command to make disciples, baptize and teach, then those two things have to occur. We have to evangelize, and we have to edify. Now, I want to talk about those. And then I want to talk about some of the ways we want to do that when we get in our ministry center, okay? So if we're going to carry out Jesus' mission, we have to first evangelize. I mean, there's, there's no one to disciple unless people first come to Jesus and become followers of Jesus. And the beginning of that, that process starts... When one is evangelized, when one is born again, when one is rescued, saved, delivered, called out of the world and and to God, when they call upon the name of the Lord, when they express faith, belief in the person and work of Jesus Christ, the word evangel comes from a Greek word in your New Testament, euangelion, and uh, that is the word for gospel. And so evangelism is the dispensing of the, of the gospel. So when we talk about evangelism, we mean giving the good news of the person and work to Jesus to those who have not yet embraced that, that good news. And by God's grace, we see people come to him and the church begins to grow numerically. Now, how will, how will that evangelism happen? Well, similar to the way it's been happening, but in greater ways because we now have this tool of a ministry center. I mean, one of the ways we'll continue to see evangelism happen, the gospel given to people who have not yet embraced Christ as Savior and bowed before Him as Lord is through what we call our Discovering God Hour. That's this hour. Every week, except during the summer. Because everybody's on vacation and in my philosophy of ministry, the summer is useless. I actually say that in notes somewhere. But three times a year, most of you know, if you've been through our newcomer's orientation, we've actually designed our church calendar that in the fall, in January, and then in the spring, just after Easter, we have series designed to reach people with with the gospel. And we give invitations to you to invite people to those series, and we send out mailers for those series, and we'll continue to do that in our ministry center. 
And that's been an effective means for us to reach people in the community and to uh, give the gospel through that process. But now we'll have a building through which we can have other programs as well. Things like mothers of preschoolers. You know, we don't have a place where we can do that kind of thing. Now, what is that? Well, that is, that is ladies who are dying to get out of the house. That's really what that means. Mothers of preschoolers means I'm looking for a babysitter. If you have one, I'll take it. So if we have a place and we have a babysitter, we will have women there. And if we provide a couple of hours of, of babysitting and fell adult conversation for women during the, during the week around, yes, refreshments and so on, but around a study in God's Word as a means to also give the gospel, then we can have those every week and lots of, lots of women who would love to be a part of that if we can serve them in, in that way. We can have children's programs uh, that beyond what we have right now, of course we have Sunday school, we have our midweek program. During the summer right now we have, we've never had anything uh, for outreach to, to children, in large part because we haven't had a place to do that. But now we will have a place to do that. And we can do a lot of creative things like... Uh, we can do upward... We have our own soccer field. How cool is that at this place? And we can do upward soccer. There's actually an organization called Upward. And you can go to upward.org. And it's turnkey, you know, Christian outreach for soccer. And have your own soccer league. So we can have outreach to children on our grounds through, through upward, upward, uh, upward soccer. We can have sports camp for a week. Uh, during the week for for kids. Day camps, again, what that means to parents is babysitting. But it's okay. It means we get an opportunity to minister to these kids and design it in such a way that we'll get an opportunity to minister to their, their parents as well. So you can have day camps and the sports camps and the upward soccer. And uh, any really, we've got the facilities to do anything uh, that our creativity uh, allows. And then, of course, we'll continue to train people for personal uh, evangelism as well. The full calendar of outreach events that we're able to have now, the outreach uh, sportsman's dinner, golf outreach, those kinds of things. So the first thing is evangelism. And the ministry center will just give us ways to continue what we're doing and enhance what we're doing to reach people with the evangel, with the good news of, of the gospel. But then there is uh, edification. And edification means to build up. Literally, the word means to build up. So those who are reached now need to be built up in their faith. And built up into what? And that's why I had you turn to Romans chapter 8. Reach people with the gospel, but then build them up into the faith. And build them up into to what? Well, to to build them up, to see them grow into what verse 29 of Romans 8 says. Those God foreknew, he also predestined to this, to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, that firstborn among many brothers, that he might be preeminent among all humanity, among all flesh, on, on all 
who are, uh, who are human, he, God became man. But he is the preeminent man. And all mankind, God desires to see conformed to him, to be like him. So to be conformed to the image of Jesus. To put it another way, for people to be born again, to be transformed by embracing the gospel and the Savior and Lord of that gospel, but then to begin to think and talk and act like Jesus. To be conformed to the image of Christ. So what's the goal then of this building up, of this edification? It's to become like Jesus. So our theme verse for our church, we showed you at the end or reminded you at the end of last week, is Colossians 1.28. We proclaim him, we proclaim Christ, teaching and admonishing everyone with all wisdom so that we can present everyone perfect, mature in Christ. And what's that maturity looks, look like? It looks like conformity to the image of Jesus, thinking and talking and acting like Jesus. So what do we want a ministry center tool for, a building? Well, we want it so that we can be more effective in evangelism and outreach, and then so those who are reached can be built up in their faith with the goal of them and we becoming like Jesus. That's what we want to do. All right. So everybody's, everybody's good with that. How does that happen? Well, here's how it happens. First, this idea that everybody needs to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Everybody needs to grow toward that. Every year of your walk with Christ, you need to be more like Jesus than you were the, the year before. And our job is to help people do that. Now, what does that assume? That assumes that when you get saved, it ain't over. When you first come to Christ, it's not over. If it was over, God should just kill you and just save all the hassle for everybody. I mean, I'm already going to heaven, so just beam me up. But God hasn't decided to beam any of us up yet. So he leaves us here. He's left us here for a purpose, and that purpose is to bring glory to him, that is, display his character as we become more like Jesus. So we're all engaged in that. None of us has arrived. It ain't over. None of us has arrived. Philippians 3, Paul says of himself, I, Paul, have not yet attained. If Paul hasn't attained, you haven't either, and I haven't either. Okay? The, the command to make disciples in Matthew 28 and verse 19 is written in, in Greek grammar in a way that it's not a punctiliar thing. It's not just something that happens one time and then it's over with. As a matter of fact, there are these participles now that govern how that happens. Baptizing and teaching, and teaching what? To observe everything that I've commanded you. That could take a while. So the point is, nobody's arrived and there's a process to doing this. As we build people up in the faith that they come to, through the evangelism process. So think of it this way. There's a start and there's a finish. It starts with people coming to Christ, evangelism. It's finished not until glory when people are completely like Jesus. And in between, there's a lot of work to do. Start with evangelism. Finish 
by being conformed to the image of Christ. And here we are in between, helping people to move from where they are to where they need to go, the goal of becoming like Jesus. How does that happen? We are working on a graphic. This is the beginning of it, but actually an animated graphic that will actually move and have lights and all kinds. It'll be really cool, like a cartoon. And uh, really, we're hoping to have it so that you'll, you'll be able to see the movement from taking someone from where they are to the goal of Colossians 1, 1.28, to presenting everyone mature in Christ. And we're using for this, this graphic and for the materials we're going to put out related to it, the illustration of, of a road. You begin on the road and the destination is Christ. You begin with salvation, but then there's all the stuff in between. And if we are going to be effective in our new ministry center at discipling people, edifying people, helping them become more like Jesus in the way they think and talk and act, there are a bunch of stops along that road. And I would like to talk to you today and into next week about the stops along, along the road. Okay, so everybody good so far? This is what we've been called to do. Carry out the mission of Jesus. Glorify Him, which means to display His character. That's in becoming like Jesus. The goal is for folks to be conformed then to the image of Jesus, thinking, talking, and acting like He does. That begins when folks come to Him expressing faith, belief in who He is and what He has done. And then they begin to walk this road together with us toward Christ's likeness. But that road is going to be however long it is. However, we're, however long we're on this earth or until Christ returns. And we're all at different points along this road, but we're all walking the same road. And we're all going toward the same destination, namely to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Now, how then can we most effectively help people in between the start and the finish? Helping them to move from where they are to where they need to go. And here's how I think we can do that. We are looking to develop what I call ministries that fall into two categories to help people move from where they are to where they need to go along the road to maturity. Two categories. One is transition ministries, and the other one is crisis ministries. Transition and crisis. Transition ministries and crisis ministries. Now, what are those? Well, the first one in the largest category is transition ministries. And here's what we mean by that. Using the illustration of you start on the road, you've come to Christ, you're now moving forward toward becoming like Christ. But that road is full of hazards. That road is full of all kinds of potholes. It's full of all kinds of obstacles that, if not negotiated well, will keep you from, from getting there as you ought. So what are those obstacles? What are those hazards along the road? Some of them, many of them are known. And some of them are unknown. So think of you're driving along a road and there's a known hazard coming up. So what do you get? We've, we've got it all over the place right now, don't we? 
So these known hazards along the road are the orange barrels of ministry, okay? Warning you that here's what's coming up for you. And in transition ministries, there are all kinds of things that we know are coming up for people. Like what? If, if somebody lives, just take, you know, Psalm 90 and, you know, your three score and ten using good King James language. So you get your 70 years. Let's say you go for, you, you get your 70 years. And so you go from zero to 70. If you lay out somebody's life from zero to 70, just the average life of the average person, they're going along a road from zero to 70 and in those 70 years, they are going to, we already know, known hazards that they're going to encounter along the way. We already know them. How do we know them? Because humanity's been around for about 6,000 years. And people have traveled this road over and over and over again. And people keep hitting these potholes, breaking their front axle, and going into the ditch. And here's what we do in ministry. We go, you're in a ditch. How did that happen? Well, it happened the same way the other 500 people went into the ditch. There are certain points in life where people will hit potential hazards. And if they are not negotiated well, it can stunt their progress to move toward the goal. And it happens over and over and over. And that's what I mean by transition ministers. Moving along, known hazards at these particular mile markers that are transitions in life. Now, what are those transitions? I'm just asking, I'm going to tell you, but I'm just asking you to think about them for a minute, in your own mind. Certain points that in the average life of the average person they hit, and if those are not negotiated well, they're going to cause issues. Well, let's start at the beginning. Let's start with birth. That in itself can be a hazard. We, we, we now have a new child. What do we do with this child? And here's what we do in the church, and here's what grandparents and great-grandparents do. They say, good luck with that. You know, and we, we chuckle, but I'm telling you, that's about the way we do this. Hope that works out for you. And I'm only slightly joking when I sense sometimes from the prior generation that there's a little satisfaction of saying, I had to go through it, I'm going to love watching you go through it. Instead of doing what Scripture tells us to do, older women teach younger women. Older men, be elders to the younger men to teach them. Teach them by what you have learned, sometimes by hard experience. Pass on the wisdom of your generation to that next generation. But instead what we do is say, you had a baby, I hope that works out. And so here's this young couple with this baby going, now what am I supposed to do? And the Bible has stuff to say about that, doesn't it? And there are people in this, in this community of faith who have gone through that and they've seen the hazards and they've experienced that. 
And they can impart that wisdom to that young couple for the benefit of that young couple and for the benefit of that child. Now think, think about all the things that can go wrong with that. Having this, this new life, the joy that goes with it, and all the congratulations. And then the child is like our two children. Beautiful. Smart. And do, they do not sleep. And as a result, my dear wife does not sleep. For like five years. That's only a slight exaggeration. It wasn't quite five years. But Laney and Annie are almost three years apart. And neither, neither of them slept regular. Neither of them. When we, had, when we had Laney, I was in my last semester of seminary. One of my classes was Hebrew exegesis of Micah at 7.30 in the morning with a newborn that won't sleep. Well, okay. Now, Kim had the great fortune of having mom. And I just get to call her mom because mom is trying to do what Titus 2 says, to be an older woman who are help, who's helping younger women. And many of you know that, and so we kind of smile when we say that. But what a great gift that is for her to have mom to help her with that. And what a great gift that was for me for her to have mom to help her with that. But it's a struggle. And there can be all kinds of other things. You know, your baby may sleep through the night. If your baby sleeps through the night, do me a favor. I don't want to hear about it, okay? We hate you. But your baby may, your baby may not. But we can prepare people before it happens, can't we? Because we've gone through it. We've got stuff to tell people about that. Before they have their baby, to prepare them for that and things they can do with that. If that's not negotiated well, there will be people who will get off the road at that point. And it may be years before they get back on because of that predictable struggle that when, when you have a newborn. That child goes into toddler years. <laughs> and it happens long before toddler years. We think it just starts at toddler years. These babies of ours, they're really smart, and your babies are really smart. You look at that kid, and uh, um, I'm not trying to cast dispersions because all babies, are, our babies were like this. But my wife is babysitting a child right now that is beautiful and really smart, like our babies were. And she does this little game where she defies. She's, what, 17 months? 17? 17 months. And so uh, when I'm, if I'm leaving, uh, I'll say Bye. And the child looks at me but will not say bye, not wave, not say bye. Has the capability to do this, but it's not doing it. And I'll say bye again, no bye. So then I just walk out, and as the door is starting to shut, just as there's a couple inches left before it shuts for me to be able to hear the sound of her voice, she says, bye. <laughs> now, you know what's going on here. I'm happy to say bye when I feel like it. Not when you tell me to say bye. 17 months. But this is the way we're wired. This is what sinners do. Our little Laney had one of her first lines was, quote, I can do what I can say. 
I'm the one who says what I do. This is the 17-year-old who said to me with a volleyball net, you want me to do it? So somebody's got to get a handle on that fairly early on. Right? Somebody's got to learn to teach the child that God has given us to you as a good gift to be a good authority in your life. And you've got to learn that very early on. And if that child doesn't learn that early on, it will have grave consequences for those parents and grave consequences for that child. And God has much to say about this that we can pass on, right? So infancy, toddlers, this, this struggle for, for who's in control, just some of the natural things that go with sleep patterns and all of that, these are all things that we can help people with. So then they're going along the road, just going through the road of life, and they start to go to school, they go to kindergarten. What kinds of things are going to happen there? Well, you know, as a parent, you've already been comparing your kid to other kids in the toddler class. You know, is my kid as sharp as the other kids in the toddler class? Is my kid as well-behaved as the other kids in the toddler class? Has my kid killed anyone in the toddler class? And now they go to kindergarten, and guess what? The, the world of comparison and contrasting has just expanded. Now there's bunches of kids and other people's kids that they're now gonna, you're going to compare them to, and they're going to compare themselves to. And there are going to be all kinds of struggles that are going to go on for the parent and for the kid when that starts to happen. Things that we are predictable, things we know about. Things that we can help them with through the principles of God's Word and the wisdom of experience. Child goes to junior high, another transition, another mile marker. Predictable hazards along the way. Junior high, are you kidding me? What are all the struggles that are going to go on there? Hormonal kinds of struggles. Expanding your world now and being confronted, and in our culture, my goodness, being confronted with ever more stuff, un ever more unhelpful stuff, that we need to help that child and we need to help those parents with. But we know what those things are and we know they're going to do that, so we can help them ahead of time, can't we? And that child, by God's grace, graduates. And they go off to, uh, go off to college. And they're trying to think about a career. And they're thinking about whether marriage is in their near future or not. Huge decision-making issues that God has a lot to say about that we can help them with before they get there, before they go off into the ditch. If, by God's grace, they successfully negotiate that and they're able to establish a career and maybe get through college and perhaps get married. Now they have that kid, we're back to... But they are now, let's get the children out of the way. Now that these children are adults, and adults with children or without children, married or without being married, but there are certain predictable things they're going to go through. Has anybody ever heard of something called mid-life? Now here's the thing, we call that crisis. As if, I had no idea that was going to happen. I've just been hit with a crisis. If, look, if you can label something, then you probably had a clue it was going to happen. This is something that happens often enough that we have a name for it. 
And the Bible has the Bible has something to teach about everything. Everything. And it has something to teach about what brings us to midlife crisis. In fact, uh, there's a book, an excellent book by Paul Tripp called Lost in the Middle. And it's about midlife crisis and biblical principles related to that. So we can take his wisdom and we can help impart that to people before they get there, right? Midlife crisis. Retirement. Does retirement have any particular hazards associated with it? Absolutely. Not least is the false notion that when you retire, you're done with ministry. So one temptation is to simply say, my days in ministry are over with. They'll be over with when you're dead. They may change, but you have a ton of wisdom and gifting and experience to impart now. And not only that, you have time to do it. Now, one potential crisis is the two of them are together because one or both of them has now retired. That in itself could be a problem. You know, I heard one lady say, after her husband had retired and he's around and it was all good for a few weeks and a few months, and then after a while, she's like, you know, what are you going to do with your life? And she says, I married you for better or for worse, but not for lunch. So figure out something to do, will you? So that in itself, we're having to, how are we going to do that? What am I going to do with my time? And use it productively for the Lord's mission. Now, we have actually laid out every one of these mile markers. And we've actually laid out all of the potential things that we know of that can happen at those particular times. And what we want to do in these transition ministries is to help people prepare for those from a missional, biblical perspective before they get there. All right, that's transition ministries on the road to maturity. By the way, can you guys see we got a lot of ministry to do? We got a ton of stuff to do. We got stuff to do for everybody, every person here. We've got stuff for you to do to help us do this. So that's transition ministries, but then there's this other category of what I call crisis ministries. I mean, truly crisis ministries. Things that don't have a big orange barrel, an orange sign saying, you know you're going to hit this. These are the things that you're just going through life and then they just happen. They were unexpected. And they're just going to throw you off the road. And those are things like sickness, loss of a job, death, divorce perhaps, maybe one, maybe one spouse leaves. And so somebody is left holding the bag and left with something they did not expect. Grief. These are, these are crises that happen in the course of life. And one or more of them is going to, happen to all, is going to happen to all of us. So we know that's going to happen. The Bible has a ton to say about all those things. How can we prepare to help people when that happens? So that they're going along the road, and you see the yellow sign there that says restoration area ahead? The, the analogy is this, that a person's going along, and then they get hit with an unexpected illness, or job loss, or death, and 
they have to pull off to the side of the road. They have to recover from this. And it's a rest area, but really it's a restoration area for we as the church to help them, help them heal. But the idea is there's an entry ramp back onto that thing. You get off, you get restored, and we get back on together. Now, one other thing you may have been thinking if you're still awake. Got all these points along the way, mile markers, some of them expected, transition ministries, signs. We know they're going to happen. We need to prepare for them ahead, ahead of time. Be proactive rather than being reactive. There are going to be things that hit you and you have to get off and then gradually get back on. But what about the person who comes in with a bunch of baggage from the road they traveled before you ever got them. So to continue the analogy, they got on the freeway and the car is completely beat up. Because they've hit a bunch of barrels. They've hit some guardrails. They've had all sorts of experiences. And then in their 40s, let's say, they came to Jesus. Now I'm getting on the road, but I've got this beat up vehicle. Now what are we going to do? And so, no matter where anyone gets on, whatever entry ramp they take onto this road to maturity, we have to have core things that we can help them with to get a handle on the baggage that they're carrying with them, the luggage they're carrying with them. And one of those is what I preached last week, is helping people to see that in the cross... I don't have to prove myself anymore. Because a lot of those people have been beat up because they didn't understand that. And their relationships have been a mess and so on because they didn't, they didn't understand that. A lot of that is going to be to help people understand what I preach today. About what things you need to, to fully understand in order for you to change. What truths you need to appropriate. Next week, what desires you need to adopt. And these would, be, these would be opening initiation kinds of things that we would have to give to people wherever they get on in order to help them take care of the baggage that they brought on. Okay? Now with that, if we set out to say, Lord, we want everybody that you bring to us to fit in Colossians 1.28, we will proclaim you, Jesus. And we will proclaim you teaching and admonishing, teaching and warning every person that you bring to us with all the wisdom that we can muster from your word and from the experiences that you've given us with all wisdom so that everyone can be presented mature in Jesus that's what we want to do and now we want to do that for people who go through the normal transitions and people who go through the the crises that occur and have to be have to be restored and if you do that Am I right? You've got a seriously robust edification, discipleship process from the church so that we can tell people the answers for you are found in God's Word and in, within the family of God. And by the Word of God and the Spirit of God and the people of God, 
we can help you take the next step down the road to maturity. That's what we want to do together. That's what we want to do in this ministry center. So that anybody that you're trying to witness to, anybody in your family, anybody at work, whatever they've got going on, the Bible has an answer for that. And you can say, we got, a, we, got, we got something for that. Now, what is the something we have, and then I'm done. Two minutes. For each one of these things, we want to offer three, three types of help. In each one of these points, whether a crisis, whether a transition ministry, in each one of them, we want to offer training, that is classes, teaching, to help the person prepare for that particular transition or to help them be restored if it's a crisis ministry. So training, classes. But then also provide for them resources. Resources in an ongoing way that they can repair to, things they can read, websites, books, articles, all related to that particular thing. And then the third category is support. And that is people who have gone through similar kinds of things. Who that they can who that they can meet with periodically to support one another. So training slash teaching classes, resources, and then support in all of those points. Okay? So with all that, we need a much bigger building than we're going to be going into <laughs> at this place. Not really. But it's a ton of ministry, but a ton of ministry all for a purpose. And I hope that you'll be excited about the possibilities of what God can do through us to help us grow in Him, but to help the people we haven't even met yet to start on the road toward maturity in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for letting us be involved in Your work. Thank You, Lord, for the work that You're doing in us to make us like Jesus. And for how you are using everything that goes on in our, in our lives to conform us to the image of Christ. The blessings and the difficulties and all of it conspiring together in your good providence to make us like Jesus. We thank you that you're doing that work in us. You're doing it via the truth of your word, by your spirit, and by your people. And then you are, are calling us to use what we've been given to help others. And collectively, as your church, as your people, as we have learned, as we have grown, we want to impart what you have taught us to others. We want to help them avoid the hazards that are avoidable. And we want to restore them when they run into just the difficulties of life living in a fallen world. And by doing that, Lord, we want to show Christ and we want to help them become like Christ and we also want that to be a means, Lord, by which people are attracted then to see this difference that we spoke of earlier today. That people will say there's something different. What is it that makes you all tick? How is it that you're able to handle this different than I did? Different than I see others do. And we're able to give them a reason for the hope that is within us. Lord, we look forward to with great anticipation to what you're going to continue to do in us as we individually and as a church grow. But then through us, as we carry out this kind of ministry in the community to which you have called us. 
Help us, Lord, to be able to get into this ministry center sooner than later because we do want to begin effective ministry as soon as possible. And we believe that the goals that we have laid out would, would honor you and bring glory to you. And so, Lord, if that's the case, we ask you to do this. Move on the hearts of the planning commission this Wednesday so that we can get approval, begin renovations, and then begin this kind of ministry in earnest. Go with us this week as we seek to show Christ in the circle of influence to which you have called us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.